Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again on this Friday morning, the twenty fourth of. I almost said February. It's June. I don't know why February the 24th is on my mind. Maybe that's a day that means something to you. If so, you should text me. 877-933-2484. Hello to those of you listening online at MyFaithRadio.com or streaming on the Faith Radio app. We love it uh, that folks not only across the country but around the world are listening and with us and It is to an international concern that is also a concern of families right here at home that I want to uh, lead off. Um, I want you to imagine for a moment that you have a member of your family detained. I'm going to use the word imprisoned because that's their reality, imprisoned overseas. And the only reason in reality that they are imprisoned overseas is because they are American. Yes, there are uh, some kind of charge against them, but in Every case uh, in terms of these 59 individuals that are identified by um, by the U.S. State Department, you know, th- these dozens of people in reality are only imprisoned because they are American. So I want you to imagine for a moment you have a family member who is being imprisoned overseas because they are an American. What would you do? What would you do? Well, that is the story of um, these dozens of families and then friends, colleagues, co-workers, neighbors um, of 59 Americans uh, held, detained in what I would describe as uh, essentially like hostage negotiations, right? It's, a, it's called hostage diplomacy. North Korea is um, probably the best at it, but Russia is... Um, good at it as well, as are Turkey and other countries. So what would you do? Um, and what is God doing? And what we, what should we expect our government to do if a member of our family is unjustly detained, imprisoned overseas just for being American or just for being Christian? And so I, um, as I was praying for these families who are desperate and their desperate stories are Um, being carried by news outlets across the country because they're not getting what they want, which is they want the president of the United States to personally intervene. Um, They recognize that when he does so, things happen and people come home. And so um, they are seeking that and they are standing outside of the White House, um, asking for it, demanding it, doing press conferences, sending letters, holding rallies like they're doing Um, what they can do, their social media hashtags, on and on and on. What would you do? What is God doing? And what should we expect our government to do? So um, in considering this, I thought, you know, how did Paul's family, the Apostle Paul, how did his family feel when he was imprisoned, 
many, many times over the course of his life, and then ultimately in Rome unto his death. How did Paul's family feel? How did they advocate? I mean, we don't know. And we also know that Paul viewed being in prison as a tremendous opportunity to share the gospel. We have Paul and Silas singing in a jail cell. We have Paul bringing the jailer to faith. We have um, Paul on a uh, on a slave ship, I mean, essentially, a prison ship. We have him bringing people to faith there. We have him delivered unto Rome, and we have him um, with the opportunity to share the reality of Jesus and the good news of the gospel with uh, tribunals and people in power who sit in judgment over him. What was God doing with Paul in prison? What was God doing with Peter in jail? Uh, I'm thinking here about what happens in the book of Acts when, you know, the people of God are gathered together in prayer for the release of Peter, and then Peter is, in fact, released, an angel gets him out. And he, you know, he goes to the place where the his brothers and sisters in Christ are gathered in prayer, and he knocks on the door, and, you know, they, they so can't believe it that they leave him standing in the street for a minute. Here's one thing I would say. If you have a family member, friend, colleague, neighbor, member of your church, unjustly imprisoned overseas, go and knock and keep knocking. I remember a conversation I had with then-Congressman Frank Wolf. Um, We were talking about our mutual friend, Andrew Brunson, who was imprisoned in Turkey. And um, Frank said, we go to the Turkish embassy and we start knocking and we keep knocking until they do something. You stand there and you knock and you don't leave. Let your knuckles be bloodied. Let your let your knees grow weary. I mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday. You, you know, you go and you knock and you keep knocking and you do not leave. And so I want to be praying today for the endurance of families and friends and colleagues who are knocking that they would be able to keep knocking until deliverance comes one way or another. Let's be praying for these families today. Adam Holtz is up next. He uh, he works with Focus on the Families Plugged In. He's so gracious to join us um, each week. And we talk about media headlines. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Focus on the families plugged in. You can find much of what we're going to talk about today at pluggedin.com. Hey, happy Friday, Adam. Happy Friday to you too, Carmen. Um, Elvis. Tell me Elvis. about Elvis. Well, does you know, he live? Elvis... I'm just kidding. Does right. he live? This is really the question. <laughs> you know, this is a story that doesn't end well, right? And we all know right. that. So. So what do you do with it? So Baz Luhrmann is a, a director who is known for creating frenetic, incredibly energetic, imaginative movies. Like think Moulin Rouge. I mean, that's probably the best example. Um, and so he brings that sort of vibe to Elvis's story. Uh, and I think 
largely succeeds. And we'll have some cautions to throw in here. But Austin Butler plays Elvis Presley, and he's a little bit skinny. But other than that, man, he just knocks it out of the park. But the interesting thing here is Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, which, frankly, I was born in 1970. Uh, Elvis died in 1977. Certainly, I can name a few Elvis songs and sing a few. But Elvis was over and done by the time I had much consciousness, other than uh, consciousness of music, other than, of course, his, his, you know, the legend of the king. Um, so I didn't really know about Colonel Tom Parker, which he's sort of a, a carny, uh, not quite a con man, but in that general vicinity. Uh, and he encounters Elvis when Elvis is quite young and sees that, you know, Elvis's blend of singing and having grown up in the South, he has appropriated all sorts of stuff from black culture, from gospel music, from even from worship in terms of some of the ways that that he moves and sings and says, I can do something with this kid and basically takes him for all he, all he's worth. I mean, he's he's not a good guy. Uh, so it's fun to see Tom Hanks in a in the role of the bad guy. And he's also the narrator of of the movie. So He's not quite a reliable narrator either. And, and so I, I think the movie really works. Obviously, Elvis's story is one that is fraught with tragedy. Uh, we see early on that he's using drugs uh, really to cope with his anxiety and the pressure of fame because he's, he's kind of just a nervous, naive, um, amazingly talented kid when Tom Parker finds him. And... Mm -hmm. So I, I think that we get a picture of Elvis's basic goodness and his desire to please other people and his loyalty. And so we see that he's loyal to Tom Parker to a fault. Long after he should have kicked this guy to the curb, he still feels a debt of gratitude because Tom Parker really does establish his career. So uh, for all that, we've got some profanity. We've obviously got drug and alcohol references, both visual and verbal, some sensuality. Uh, it doesn't push past the bounds of its PG-13 rating, and I think we could all agree that Elvis had kind of an R-rated life, so Boz has given us a, a little bit of a, a censored vision here of Elvis, but um, not a movie for kids either. Yeah. So I think that um, if you're listening right now and you want to have a conversation about Elvis, um, I'm going to just lift up a couple of things to you. He really personally resisted being called the king, um, the yeah. king of rock and roll. I mean, he came right out and said, there's only one king, and that's Jesus Christ. He was yep. raised in um, an Assemblies of God family. Uh, I think that we could say he went on to have a very complex relationship to faith and the things of the faith. He identified yeah. as a Christian. Um, he yep. des described gospel music as the purest thing. Um, that we have uh, here on earth. And yet, yes, you're exactly right. He had this wild life of addicted hedonism. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he was a mega star and we are not designed to bear the weight of the kind of glory um, no. and attention that people placed on him as an individual. So I do think it's an interesting, he makes for a very interesting um, topic of conversation because he's a, a generation removed from kids today, um, you know, yeah. maybe this is a conversation starter for your older teens, your college student, your young adult, um, you know, people who are 
um, attracted to the kind of life that um, Elvis um, had. And yet, and I think a really good opportunity to talk about the the complexity of that kind of fame for a person of faith. Would that be fair? Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. So let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm just going to straight up ask Adam, hey, as a parent, a parent of young children in particular, maybe young parents who might be fairly new to the faith, how do we like make a media consumption plan for our kids? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You ain't nothing but a All right. Even just when we play that, right, we are going to have a conversation about, all right, a fallen person delivering us really um, energized, fun music. Adam, let's talk about what we expose our kids to and how, as Christians, we um, make like a media consumption plan for our kids. Like, I don't I don't know. Do we let them listen to Elvis? Right. I mean, like this is this is a a a real conversation people are really having today. How do I help my kids choose good media, good quality media? And when they're listening to media or people producing media who are not people of faith, like how as a Christian parent do I respond to that? Wow. I mean, how much time do we have? I know. Um, Here's where I want to start. No, no, this is uh um, I could literally talk for an hour straight, barely taking a breath on this. Um, I think for starters, when our kids are younger, our responsibility to provide very firm boundaries is our primary responsibility. And I think that our primary stance when our kids are, are young, and I'm talking preteen uh, and then some, is no, we're not going to watch that. Um, that is not, we're not going to listen to that. Those things aren't appropriate for us as followers of Christ. Now, as they get older, I think our strategy shifts and we want to both be creating conversation um, and talking about things because I think once your kids are tweens and teens, you know, oh, that's just garbage or, you know, we can dismiss things easily that our kids are starting to care about, and it ends up maybe potentially uh, demeaning them or alienating them. Paul says, don't exasperate your sons. You know, he says that to fathers in Ephesians. Uh, And I think that when we sort of dismiss things that our kids are starting to be interested in or curious about, we risk exasperating them. And so it doesn't mean that we embrace the world, but it does mean we start to move into a stance where we have conversations and where we're giving them more agency in the choices that they make, and we're having a big-picture conversation about worldview. What, is, what does this particular piece of entertainment say is right, is true, is good? Uh, if it's you know this specific, what does it say about the beginning, how we're living right now, and what's coming next? Uh, and then we begin a compare and contrast exercise, and I think that what that does is it equips our kids to think critically and biblically about the world that they're entering into. So at the time they leave our house, they have had practice thinking theologically. And that doesn't mean that, that at some point we begin to let them make their own decisions and we don't write in and say, no, 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 that's out of bounds. Um, but we let them own their own decisions. And that's a, that's a subjective process. It varies from kid to kid. We have to be aware of their vulnerabilities Um, And in the midst of that, I think that we want to be setting boundaries about 
when, where, and how we're engaging with media in terms of the amount of time we spend doing it, how much we're investing emotionally in a TV series, a band, uh, a movie. <clears throat> and that's, um, there are no necessarily neat and tidy rules here. And there are, I think, some naturally disciplined people out there. And then there are what I would call the rest of us, right? We have good intentions, but things get off track. And so I think the final thing I would say is our goal here is intentionality and engagement and conversation. It doesn't mean that we're always going to get it right. And I don't use that as an excuse for mediocrity, but I think sometimes as parents, we can put perfectionist sort of uh, expectations on ourselves and on our kids. Um, man, we're bombarded by the world from so many directions. And even if we're careful, things are going to happen that we're not crazy about as parents, but we want to create an environment in which we can talk about those. So um, that's my like three minute blast on that. I could literally unpack that for the next hour, but uh, that's how that's I would so answer good. your question. No, that's so good. All right. Um, so in terms of things that we want to turn our kids on to, good things that are out there right now, this headline um, captured my attention LifeWay's 2022 Vacation Bible School soundtrack, Spark Studios, reached the number one spot on Apple's Apple Music's Top 100 Children's Music Albums chart last week. So there's a lot in that. First of all, Apple Music has a Top 100 Children's Music Albums. I didn't even know there were 100 Children's Music Albums. Um, but to the top uh, has risen Spark Studios, which is the soundtrack for VBS, First of all, VBS has a soundtrack, and VBS is back. Like, all of that seems worthy of conversation. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think that it, it goes to show that we're at a point right now in culture where there are, well, I, again, I could dissect this a lot of different ways, but there are a lot of churches, I'm guessing, that are using this, this music in their VBSs, uh, if that's such a thing. I've never thought about the plural of VBS before. <laughs> um and if enough people are downloading that, it's enough to make an impact and to get noticed in the broader culture. So um, I, like you, I'm not sure I was aware there was a children's music album chart either. Um, but again, I think uh, taking a totally sideways leap, all data is being watched all the time by these tech companies, right? They want to parse it as many ways as possible to be able to peg you in terms of what they think is going to get you to bite on the products they're offering. Anyway, that's sort of a cynical take on a very positive story. So I'll bring it back and say, I think this is a great story. This is a feel-good story. Uh, and I'm glad that, that Lifeway is producing something that's so popular. Yeah, I'm glad VBS is back. I'm glad VBS has a soundtrack. Let's be supporting Vacation Bible School in our own communities. Um, yep. And hey, if there's a family that can't um, maybe afford to download the soundtrack, that might be a really simple way for um, for you to support uh, a family with kids in your community. Like that might be a fun way to do it. All right. There's a ton of stuff right now at Focus on the Families plugged in. I don't want you to miss it. Be sure you read the blog, The Fun and Fumble of Fantasy Sports. That one's really good. And tremendous counsel um, in the never-ending scroll, getting off the wheel. Um, that one is really, really good on social media, and it's uh, the, the hooks that it's setting in our minds and how it keeps us scrolling. So really great content. Go grab it at PluggedIn.com. Adam, as always, thank you so much. You bet, Carmen. Thank you. 
Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We'll be right back. You have made my life complete and I... Don't be cruel to who hard is true. All right, the fact that you and I can um, listen to outtakes of Elvis Presley music and recognize that he was um, a broken person, redeemed in Christ, but who was challenged with all kinds of addictions and hedonism to the very end of his life, uh, leads me to um, circle back around to a listener question um, that uh, many of you have been asking over and over and over again for some time. Um, I've obviously been avoiding answering the question, but I think that this gives us an opportunity to talk about it. What do we do? What do we do with the books, the teaching resources, the audio of pastors and teachers and leaders who we would regard um, as fallen? And specifically, you have asked that question in relationship to Ravi Zacharias. So I am going to delve into that in just a moment. What What do I do as a Christian? Um, with the books, the teaching resources, the audio, uh, even the music of, of fallen pastors, teachers, and leaders. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is a difficult subject matter to talk about, but it's necessary, and many of you have asked me to specifically address um, what to do with the materials that uh, you have and and the ways in which you've appreciated the the teaching ministry of Ravi Zacharias over the years. Um, one one listener texted in during the break, what? Um, Ravi, you know, has fallen? What? I missed that. Okay, so... Sadly, um, after he died, these revelations um, came forward that not only had um, the accusations related to his uh, sexual predation um, during his lifetime been that those were credible, but that they were um, known by people within the organization and that um, the women who brought the accusations were basically bullied in many cases into keeping silent. It is a mess. It has destroyed um, a ministry. And so I think the question is, what do we then do with uh, the books, the teaching resources, the, uh, you know, the audio? And I'll just use him specifically because I think that, that the case of Ravi Zacharias is so high profile that it's a, it's an easy one to point to. But there are any number of places that we could point. Um, many, many, you know, many, many, sadly, fallen pastors, teachers, leaders, musicians. So I think that there's a personal perspective on this and there's an organizational perspective on this. And so you will note that... Um, if you go and try to find, let's say specifically Ravi's teachings on many of the organizational websites where um, he had been platformed over the years, you're not going to be able to find them. You you will not find interviews. You will not find print resources. You will not find downloadable audio because organizations um, want to want to not only protect themselves, but we don't want to platform someone um, 
who's going to lead you to a place that we knowingly know at this point is um, is damaging, hurtful, harmful, all of those things. And yet you're going to say to yourself, but wait a second, Ravi's teaching um, was rock solid. I mean, we were blessed by it. We can agree uh, that you know he, he he may have been the most gifted apologist of our generation. So what do you do with um, books and resources, materials that could be a great benefit uh, to Christians now and in the future? And yet the person um, died in unrepentance. Like that is part of our challenge here is that he was unrepentant. If he w- If he had been repentant, we would be having a different conversation. And that's a challenge as well. And so I think all of that is a part of the mix of the conversation. Do I think that individuals can benefit from um, those resources? Yeah, I think you probably can. Absolutely. Um, I think that organizationally, there is uh, there is the necessity to um, not platform the resources because they are a constant reminder of um, of the individual and then the victims and our concern for those who have been victimized and abused. And so all of that is wound up in here. So um, I hope that helps. I think that on an individual level, um, the resources can be helpful. I think that on an institutional or an organizational level, we have a responsibility to readers and listeners, and that means we're not going to platform those particular materials. All right, good. You guys are engaging. Here we go. Paul says in Philippians, uh, he's glad the gospel is preached, even if the one sharing it doesn't have the right motives. I think we still see how God can use um, uh, these these people. Our society seems to put people on pedestals. Uh, yes, I would definitely say that elevating people to a place beyond where they should be elevated is a huge part of this problem. The celebrity level here is uh, hugely problematic. I think the failure of accountability in relationships is hugely problematic um, and the inability of organizations to hold their premier leaders accountable is a a huge problem as well. So thank you for pointing that out. While your engagement uh, here on the text line really robust on this topic, thank you so much. Uh, If you want to Text me, 877-933-2484. A listener here texting in, we all have weaknesses. Sex is a really big target uh, on on the backs of men for Satan. Yes, absolutely. We need to be guarding our hearts and minds according to the Word of God. We need to be in accountable relationships. We need to invite um, transparency and accountability. Um, We need to not think too highly of ourselves. We need to recognize our weaknesses. Um, On and on and on and on and on. Um, all right, somebody else texting in. Hey, just this morning, I saw a self-justifying tweet um, uh, by a person who I don't even follow, but would fall into this category of a fallen, unrepentant leader. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, good question, Carol. How do we how do we know that Ravi was unrepentant? Um, because the uh, because the content from his wife and his daughter and the Zacharias organization um, has has contained information that has said that he denied these accusations to the end, um, utterly denied them to the end, and still had the content, the sexual content, um, the exploitative content on his phone. 
um, and had multiple phones in order to have the content available to him in a way that others would not be aware of. Um, Now, do I know that on his Beth debt he didn't repent before the Lord? No, but I can tell you that in terms of what we do know, this is part of the challenge, right? He was certainly not publicly repentant, and so what we're talking here is about the public use of his teachings, and so had he been publicly repentant, we we might be having a, a somewhat different conversation today than we are having about platforming his material organizationally. <clears throat> okay, yes, uh, Lori says uh, it might be interesting conversation uh, to talk about celebrities who are wrestling with God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no question about that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if God can use a donkey. Yeah, there's no question that God can use anyone that God wants to use or anything that God wants to use. Um, and I certainly believe that God used Ravi Zacharias. I mean, I, I, absolutely. His his teaching content is excellent. The question we're having is, um, and again, I have said in our in our personal, from a personal perspective, in our own home, in our own study, in our own office, I mean, I think the decision is is yours personally to make. Organizationally, um, from an institutional level, platforming someone who um, who is just so um, whose sin is now so publicly known is a great challenge. It's a great challenge. Yes, agreeing with uh, with the listener who has texted in at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We do need to admit our weaknesses. Absolutely. Um, our, our shortcomings, we need to uh, uh, apologize when, when appropriate to people whom we have hurt. And um, yeah, really, really, um, really, really challenging. All right. Now, here's an interesting observation. Um, here's a person who uses material from Ravi Zacharias and, and the uh, um, and RZMI, which, oh, that's a whole nother conversation, right? How do I um, continue to have conversations with, platform, celebrate, and appreciate other members of RZIM? Um, how, how do you, like, you know, uh, how do you do all of that? I mean, is there guilt by association? Like, those are some challenging things as well. Um Yes, every single one of us needs to put on the full armor of God every day. We need to be guarding our hearts and minds according to the word of God. Um, no question about it. All right. Now, here is the question I've been waiting for. So thank you, so, uh, a friend who is asking, hey, what about Hillsong music? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. There is a music conversation to be had here as well. There is an artist conversation to be had here. Um, certainly, there is a, uh, a conversation to be had about not, not only what we listen to, but who we platform, um, because theology matters, right? And I want to be leading you into, um, into conversations with authors and artists who I feel comfortable uh, that if you followed them, they're going to lead you, um, they're going to lead you to faith and faithfulness and goodness and godliness, it is, it is a complex mess out there. For those of you that don't know um, what the referent there is to Hillsong music, um, that's a, that's literally a Google away. And Hillsong's not the only, um, you know, not the only source here that we're going to be would be talking about that's complicated. Is it Hillsong music that's the problem, and all of those musicians and all of those songs, or a problem of uh, uh, sexual deviance at the highest levels of leadership in terms of um, what 
what happened um, at Hillsong, because I think that there are a number of conversations we could be having here about organizations and the people who um, function at all levels of those organizations and whether or not they're all guilty by association with a person at the top who has fallen. And yes, Anne, it breaks my heart, too. It breaks my heart, too. Um, is there a reliable resource that reports the investigation results? Yes. Uh, it's all posted at Christianity Today. That would be a place I could send you for investigative reporting on this, as well as Religion News Service. Um, lots there as well. You can obviously go directly to RZIM, um, where they have posted information, um, you know, as well. So, yes, his story is incredibly tragic. Um, and yes, then the observation that leadership creates culture and culture wins. And so um, whether or not people at all levels of the organization could be trusted to to lead us to Christ is is a good one. Yeah, you guys are into this. You're on it. Thank you so much. Um, it is complicated. Uh, and no, I am not denying that um, every person uh, is fallen and broken and and sin ravaged. Um, But I would argue that when we are aware um, that we have a responsibility to protect those who have been victimized and abused and and to um, guard our own hearts, hold one another accountable. It is complicated. Thank you so much for engaging in the conversation today. Um, We're going to do some uh, Friday farm report when we come back. Uh, It is uh, the time on the farm when, you know, frankly, where I live, you can see the effects of a late frost. It's also the time when everything that has been hidden is being revealed. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Is your corn popping up in rows yet? All right. Uh, I got to tell you, it is um, it's a fun time to live on a farm. It's also that like desperate prayer time. We could really use some rain. It's the Friday Farm Report. Here were my um, jot down notes this morning in terms of what I thought we might uh, talk about. This is the time when you can actually like see the effect of a late frost. If there if you had a late frost, then now is the time, at least in our orchard, when you can see the effects of that. So some trees that had lots of blossoms in the early spring now have no fruit. So that is the effect of a late frost. Um, This is also the time that everything that was hidden is being revealed. And so the health of the tree is now evident in the health of the fruit it is producing. Sometimes that is uh, an issue of size. Sometimes that is an issue of um, pests. Sometimes uh, it's sick with, like, fire blight. I mean, on and on and on. Now is the time when the hidden things are revealed. Now is the time when you begin to see um, the effects of whether or not you, you know, sprayed your trees with the right thing on the right schedule. Like, all of that is now being revealed. Um, It always makes me think this time of year as the uh, the fruit is really coming in heavy— on our trees and we're starting to plan out like who's going to help us come and pick all this fruit. This is one of those times when the distinctiveness of the kingdom of heaven 
um, and trees that bear fruit in all seasons. Like, you know, I mean, even ever-bearing strawberry plants, by the way, even though they're called ever-bearing, don't ever bear, uh, don't ever bury, ever, ever-bearing. Yeah, they don't. Don't always bear fruit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. They're not, they're not ever-bearing, even though they're called ever-bearing. So, um, in the kingdom of heaven, fruit trees bear fruit in all seasons and they bear all good fruit. Well, that's not true now. Like right now, there is a sorting process that takes place and um, some fruit falls to the ground without question. There's also a lot of labor this time of year in terms of the cultivation of what God is providing through the fruit of the land. Um And that labor has this great joy, right? The joy of the harvest, but it's also real work. Like it's real work and it's buggy work and sweaty work and dirty work. And um, so I think that as we are enjoying the bounty um, of what God is providing through our gardens and through our orchards this time of year, um, you know, let's be thanking farmers. Thank you to those of you who are out there right now. Um, cultivating the harvest and doing the hard work of um, weeding the garden and suppressing the pests. Pests would be the other thing that I would uh, point to. Pests. Pests. Yes. Okay. In other news, um, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. So here's one quick uh, headline from Amazon. Amazon Amazon.com is developing a voice mimicking feature for its virtual assistant, Alexa, that will replicate the speech of people alive or dead. And so this is an AI adaptation of Alexa. And um, the goal here is to, like, provide the voice of someone that you love who is no longer living. Alexa will switch from its default voice to a voice that you recognize, let's say, of your dead grandmother. Able to mimic voices after accessing less than a minute of recorded audio of a particular individual. Here's the quote. AI can eliminate the pain of loss. Oh, excuse me. AI can't eliminate the pain of loss, but it can definitely make the memories last. How do you make ethical decisions about technology? How do you feel when I tell you that um, Alexa would be able to come to you in the voice of a dead loved one? Um, And how do we functionally apply the mind of Christ to this particular challenge of technological development? We can um, make specific application here. I mean, there is this desire to hear a dead friend or a dead relative's voice. Like, I get that. I get that. But this points beyond that to a great temptation to engage with them as if they are still present and still involved and still here. Um, That robs the joy of eternity and the hope of salvation in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think we have to make a distinction between wanting to hear the voice of a person who has died and wanting to commune with them. The first is totally natural and understandable. The second is really dangerous. So I think that when we talk about ethical decision-making and accessing technology that is available, 
um, we need to recognize what the Bible says about certain things. And the Bible has a lot to say about the dangers of seeking to commune with the dead. Um, Let us commune with the one who is living, Jesus Christ. And if you want to ask him to uh, talk with your mom or your brother, your child or your friend, um, that's one thing. But desiring to talk to them yourself is um, really spiritually dangerous. All right. Um, we got uh, we, we got a minute here um, to uh, to talk about one more topic. So I'm going to ask you this. What would you do if someone you loved was in a competition in a pool and they sank to the bottom and none of the lifeguards jumped in? What would you do? That story up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. An American artistic swimmer, Anita Alvarez, was uh, performing in Budapest on Wednesday in an international championship when she sank to the bottom of the pool in the middle of her performance. And no one dove in. None of the lifeguards dove in to help. Her coach knew it was not part of the routine. She recognized that the 25-year-old had lost consciousness at the end of a solo routine, and her coach jumped into the water. She said, I could see that no one else was going to. Um, She's fine. Um, she's, uh, She's fully recovered. She simply fainted in the water, which is amazing. People are fainting in the middle of their performances in life all the time. And so this is an encouragement to don't just stand there and watch people sink. Like, jump in. Jump in. This is the incarnational reality of what Christ has done. When we are fainting in the midst of a performance, um, Jesus dives in. He dives right in. That's the reality of the incarnation. And so let us be people in the spirit of Christ who dive in today and intervene to save. Um. Let's, uh, let's be the, the helpers who come from the outside. We can't save ourselves. And so let's go all in. Let's be those people who go all in in the, in the spirit of Christ, desiring that none should be lost and that all should be saved, right? Let's be those people today. In the spirit of Christ, let's get out there. And as we see people fainting in the midst of their solo performances, um, let's dive in. Let's not wait for someone else um, to come to the aid of another person. Let's be the people who, in the spirit of the incarnation of Christ, put on flesh, dive in um, to the realities uh, of suffering that people are experiencing, and help them come to a refreshed newness of life. Have a great weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.